Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. What if we told you that by doing a simple examination and asking a few key questions, we could make the world of difference to a young child's overall development? Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huynh and we are joined in this episode by Dr. Derek Mahoney. Now, Dr. Mahoney needs no introduction. He's a specialist orthodontist and has been leading the field of orthodontics and early airway intervention for decades now. In this episode, we discuss the links between teeth, the airways, and how it affects a child's overall development. As general dentists, oftentimes we're the first people to be looking into the mouths of young patients. And I know for many of us, this can be stressful in itself, where we just want the kids in and out as soon as possible. No drama. Dr. Mahoney talks to us about how if we just spend a few seconds looking out for certain clues and asking the patients some key questions about the child's behavior and their sleeping habits, and whether or not they snore, we could really change the trajectory of their growth and simplify you know, orthodontic treatment that they may or may not need down the track. I find this such a fascinating field and I'm really glad we got to talk to Dr. Mahoney in a little bit more detail about it. It's full of really useful information, so listen up and I hope you enjoy it. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's lots of kids we've helped in that regard. But I, I can tell you from a personal experience, um, my my nephew, when he was five years old, um, he was almost on the miscorrect diagnosis, if you want to call it that, of having hyperactivity disorder. Obviously, my brother was um, interested in getting my opinion because he knew I was doing some research in this field, et cetera, et cetera. And then of all the medical specialists that this poor little kid had seen, not one had suggested that it could be related to airway or to at least do a sleep study. You know, it was all more the sort of medication, long-term type therapies. So when I looked in uh, his mouth, I could see classic bruxism, a very high palate. And when I looked in the back of uh, his throat, he had what we call grade four tonsils, which means that the tonsils were effectively kissing each other and blocking the airway. So by default, I said uh, to my brother, look, your son really needs help from an airway perspective. And I'm pretty sure that if you can fix that, a lot of the other problems will fall into place. And luckily, he's he's still quite young. And this is the point. I mean, we as dentists are normally trained to look at teeth. And you know, many dentists, when they think about baby teeth, are going to say, right, well, let's just patch them up until the adult teeth come in. Then we'll get serious about fissure sealants or whatever you guys do, right? Um, but But the thing is, if you understand development of a child, particularly from brain development and IQ, a lot of that stuff happens in the early years. I'm talking like before they go to preschool. And if they're getting disruptive sleep and sleep apnea, they behave totally different to a child who's getting good quality sleep. And by that, I mean, if we don't sleep well, we might get um, tired during the day, easily lethargic, what we call daytime somnolence. For children, it's almost the opposite. If you've had a young child that doesn't, uh, that stays up one hour past their bedtime, they're going to uh, end up almost climbing the walls, you know. So kids behave differently to this same uh, syndrome of poor sleep and sleep apnea. And they have uh, hyperactive uh, behavior, poor attention span. So getting back to my nephew, 
Um, I organized a sleep study, and as we suspected, it came back with, for a child, quite severe sleep apnea. So I rang my friendly nose and throat doctor, uh, Greg, Greg Lavoff, who used to be a dentist, um, and uh, yes, yeah, straight away, tonsils, adenoids removed. The parents noted an immediate improvement in this kid's behavior and his sleep. He wasn't snoring anymore at night. Then we went on to widen his palate, and then uh, we started doing some uh, what we call myofunctional therapy, which is basically strengthening those muscles of the pharynx that are prone to collapse. You know, we teach our kids how to talk. We teach them how to walk. Sometimes we've got to teach them how to um, put their tongue in the right position and breathe properly through their nose rather than their mouth. So when you, when you look at this kid now, he's done really well in life. He's gone from, um, you know, a kid that would have been put in that too hard basket uh, to a kid who's um, a, a, a high achiever, uh, Etc. Etc. So I think from a personal experience, uh, seeing because you know you don't always see your patients on a regular basis for a long term, but if they're your relative, sure, you're going to see them and uh, and get that feedback. So it's just interesting that uh, you know here's this kid obviously has a problem, but channeled. I, I guess the more specialists you see, the the more that specialist knows a lot, but by about a small sphere. And depending on which specialist this kid ended up seeing would determine what type of treatment he had. Maybe if he saw an nose and throat doctor first, he would have had just um, T's and A's done. Maybe if he saw, you know, so so I think it's, uh, it's multidisciplinary treatment is what I try and teach. And dentists are really at the forefront because, you know, every dentist should have been able to look in that kid's mouth uh, and say, look, I can see bruxism. I can see a crossbite. I can see a high palate. I can see the airways block. Let's do something about this. And that's why I think whether you want to get involved in co-treatment or just at least in the proper diagnosis, that's the role of the dentist. Dr. Mahoney, I've sent up a lot of topics that I want to dive into, but one in particular, I guess for some of our listeners who haven't really heard much about this topic before, can we go into a little bit more detail about how like the airways um, affect development and growth and then how orthodontics plays a role? Like, How are these different areas interlinked with one another? Look, I think let's start with just a basic anatomy lesson. We as dentists are looking at the palate on a regular basis, in particular, you know, the teeth within the upper arch, right? Let's look at that. The other side of that is the nasal airway. 65% of the maxilla is is the nasal airway. So what we do to that upper jaw greatly influences many things in life, including the growth of that jaw, the space available for new teeth to come through, et cetera, et cetera. So the null hypothesis is this, that if you can get a child early enough and clear their airway, put their tongue on the palate, um, get them to breathe through their nose with their lips together, the tongue actually becomes your expander. And of course, it's the world's best expander. There's no lab fee. There's no compliance issues. It's there 24 hours a day. The forces are just right to stimulate what we call intramembrous ossification, which is uh, the sutures of the maxilla grow in response to function. And that function is the tongue hitting the palate and the sinuses developing, which is breathing through your nose. So if you look at lots of studies, and you know, I'm, I'm happy if any of your readers want more evidence-based literature, there's, there's a myriad of, of this. Now, I will just reach out to my good friend in WA, 
uh, Shireen Lim, another person you should have on your podcast. She has taken it to the next level and she's got a really good Facebook group, which is called Airway for Kids. So what's good about that group is she lists all the references, you know, under bruxism, under facial development, under bedwetting, you know, it's really, really good resources. So getting back to what I'm saying, that if you can get airway improved, and tongue in the right position, the maxilla continues to grow. And as it grows, it grows forward, which is the upper part of facial balance. So what we see in children where this hasn't happened is the opposite, a narrow maxilla and what we call a mid-face deficiency. Classic example is acute as a cleft palate, as an extreme example. So if you have a cleft palate, uh, it's normally repaired early. One of the downsides of repairing it early, the scar tissue prevents further growth. And these kids end up very much like this, what we call class three, where they're maxillas too far back. Another example is a young child put on CPAP for five, six years. Uh, the CPAP prevents that forward growth of the maxilla. So we can see what happens when things go wrong. Down syndrome child, you know, where the tongue's always in a downward position because uh, of low muscle tone. Uh, but if you look at, you know, lots of studies where the opposite has been done, you can see that that, that sort of change. So I think the, the concept is facial growth and development is very much linked to your palatal development, which is very much linked to your nasal breathing and the position of your tongue. And you were really pushing on how the more early we are able to pick this up and intervene, like doing things like myofunctional therapy, using the tongue as a natural expander prevents, I guess, more orthodontic treatment later down the track. Yeah, well, I mean, when we say prevent or minimize, uh, the, the, the concept is when I graduated from orthodontic school, I only treated permanent dentition, right? So I would wait till the orthodontic age, 12 or 13, kid would come in and I would view this as crowding, you know? So greater than five millimeters of crowding per arch, I was taught pull out four teeth. And that's what I did in the first six years of my career. Thought I was doing a wonderful job. And yes, I was lining up the teeth, but the underlying basis of the malocclusion. I mean, this is a really important thing for everyone to understand. What causes malocclusion? It's not a genetic mismatch of dad having big teeth and mum having a small jaw. There's no evidence to support that theory, but there's a lot of evidence to support that it's um, the jaw's not developing properly. If we look at our uh, ancestors and you look at, um, you know, uh, skulls of uh, Aboriginals that Dr. Begg had found, uh, Dr. Begg's very famous orthodontist from um, Adelaide who came up with a lot of theories. But, you know, he looked at skulls of Aboriginal man and realized they had no malocclusion. They had beautiful class one, well-developed jaws, room for their wisdom teeth. Um, you know, and, and so you've got a question, well, what, what has happened? Why is it that every second kid now has a malocclusion? You know, uh, uh, you can't look at in a short period of time, it has to be environmentally based. So this is the thing that I now realize that me straightening up teeth and not fixing the underlying cause of the problem is a bit like rearranging the um, the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, it's a, it's a fruitful, a fruitless exercise, right? Yeah. So that, that's why uh, I think... Um, get in early to establish the foundations so that the work you need to do later is number one, uh, 
more stable, that's very important. Uh, and number two, less work to do. And now I've been in practice 35 years, so I can see the kids that I've done the early intervention for now as young adults, right? Um, we're very lucky in our practice to be at the stage of our career where kids I treated are now bringing their kids in for treatment. It's almost like a what I would call a recession-proof um, business plan. It allows me to kind of look at what I used to do to what I currently do so we can have a, uh, uh, we, we can see the difference in the facial profile, in the airway, and in, in the development of the dentition. So I'm very big on interceptive treatment, which means if you've got a functional problem, like you suck your thumb or you have a tongue tie or you have a crossbite with a functional shift, th th you have to treat those problems as soon as they're seen, even if it's um, primary dentition. Then if you've got growth-related problems, you treat that jaw during the period of maximum growth. And for the maxilla, that's probably going to be between seven and nine, which is totally different to what I was taught, which is just wait for adult teeth and then sort of, you know, line up the teeth the best way you can. That, that's the difference in the way I currently practice and teach versus uh, what I was taught, you know, back in the day. Dr. Mahaney, I was just wondering, um, in terms of treatment modalities, has your what you use changed over the years? Where traditionally it used to be more just braces, but now that you're doing more interceptive orthodontics, like what exactly are you doing? Are you doing more expanders or what sort of treatment are you performing when in interceptive um treatment? So yeah, and so the the answer to that question is in interceptive treatment if the maxilla is too small we do a lot of arch development right I, I, I use the term arch development because expansion just talks about lateral development most of these kids need uh, ap changes and lateral so arch development and if the maxilla is too far back we can use various appliances like face masks that can protract it forward while it's still growing for the class two population, we do a lot more mandibular translation. So, you know, most of the dentists would be exposed to appliances such as a twin block. Um, uh, uh, but I teach more modern versions of that, which don't involve compliance because they're fixed in the mouth and don't affect the tongue position. If you've ever worn a twin block, you know how hard it is for a kid to actually talk with that thing in the mouth. Uh, so something called the Mara. So, you know, the, my, not my two number one appliances are arch expanders, if you want to call it that, or arch developers and class two fixed correctors. So that's what I do differently uh, to then going straight into fixed. And in a lot of those kids, we then, depending on where their canine is, you do two by four. Two by four means four brackets on the incisors, um, upper and lower, and we guide the eruption pathway uh, of the canine. So by the time I finish correcting the skeletal problem and making room for the canine, there's really not a lot of uh, work left to do. The case goes into a retention phase so that uh, by the time the adult teeth come through, they've come through pretty much into a class one minimal crowded case. And I've got literally thousands and thousands of cases to show. And I always say to any new graduate, before you consider, you know, an orthodontic career or or doing some orthodontics in your GP practice, go and visit the guy teaching, look at his own clinics, see what he does in the clinic, get him to show you um, a patient he treated 30 years ago and what they look like now. That's true learning. You know what I mean? And I, and I offer that free to any of your new graduates who are listening Come and hang with me for a day or one of my associates for a day just to get a feel of, of what's going on because you can read every book in the world and you can listen to every lecture and look at 
amazing slides on PowerPoint. But when you get in, you know, we, I mean, very, I'm very proud of my empire. Uh, we have eight very successful practices in Sydney and Melbourne. You know, we're starting about 4,000 patients a year. You know, the average orthodontic practice is about 500. Um, and uh, and the reason for that is we, we have very good systems in play. And I like to teach my students those systems. It's not, it, there's, there's a lot of business management that goes into there, you know, like uh, if you want to talk about from uh, what, what age to start looking at the kids and what treatment we do. Yeah, so always happy for the new graduates to come and just spend a day in, in, in the clinic uh, and they see the flow and they see how important my staff are, the the treatment coordinators in particular who sit down with the parents and explain X, Y, Z, etc. Wonderful. So for all our listeners listening on, that's like Willy Wonka's golden ticket, right? To check out <laughs> Dr. Mahoney's uh, practices right there. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. So, Dr. Mahoney, just winding it back a little bit, something we say a lot on the podcast is that we don't know what we don't know. And I'm sure it's the same for our patients who are parents as well um, in terms of things like thumb sucking, mouth breathing, snoring, bruxism. Do you have any tips for new grads in terms of um, how to pick this up early enough or how to go about behavior management, looking at this in that initial patient assessment, if if that makes sense? So... I think if I'm understanding your question correctly, it's about parent education, right? Where dentists should learn a lot is pacifiers, right? We all know that every uh, parent uses it and we all know that it does untold damage, but then you know, parents are not educated as to uh, what is a good pacifier, what's not. So that's something a dentist should be well aware of, right? Thumb sucking, the age old question, at what age does it affect the dentition? Um, and at what stage should it stop, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even going back earlier, the importance of breastfeeding for the appropriate time in the appropriate head position, because when you breastfeed, you're actually stimulating uh, the tongue doing its role in developing the palate. So there's lots of studies to show kids who have not been breastfed have a high incidence of crossbite, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, p- parent education is important. And I think break cessation of habits, whether it's sucking on a blanket or a toy, sucking your finger or thumb using a pacifier, that's an important aspect. Um, and true preventive orthodontics, if you want to call it that, uh, is to nab that developing problem uh, before it becomes a problem. If your child has um, uh, the need for glasses, you're not going to say, well, can I wait till they're in year seven and then start class? No, <laughs> they've got an eye problem. You want to kind of uh, fix that uh, now. Uh, so I think a young dentist should have a ready checklist of, you know, 
Bruxism. Uh, I see it in this kid. What are the seven most common causes of Bruxism? And, you know, a checklist of that. I love the Bears questionnaire. Um, you can download this from any internet source uh, and you just give it to the parents and it doesn't cost you anything, doesn't cost the parents anything, but it's a high predictor of whether your kid may have what that uh, sleep disorder breathing problems. So that's another thing I encourage my, my students to, to incorporate in their initial exam. Look, I don't teach any general dentistry. I wasn't a very good general dentist to begin with. Uh, so all the stuff you may taught in dental school, it's all good stuff. But when you graduate from dental school, you realize how much you really don't no. Uh, and you can't blame your curriculum. They only have even less number of years with you nowadays uh, to teach you so much stuff. So they teach you the basics and that's all good. But then there should be this thirst for knowledge when you graduate and when you start seeing patients and the parents start asking you and you're like, say it's your first day. I remember my first day as a graduate dentist the first patient I saw was a seven-year-old and the lower teeth were really crowded. And the mum said, Dr. Mahoney, um, you know, what age uh, should we do something about the crowding? Now, I literally had to say in my head, geez, I don't know. Uh, but I said, I think you need to see an orthodontist for that opinion. And so I did my first referral. And, you know, a few weeks later, the letter came back, too young for treatment, monitor uh, until adult teeth erupt, right? So I thought, well, that's the best thing to do. But they also suggested to extract um, two baby teeth, uh, which I did, which was the lower uh, deciduous canines. And the mum was happy because as I monitored that kid over the next year or two years, those instanding laterals, of course, straightened up. But what had I really done? By taking those C's out early, I blocked out the canines. So I'd actually set that kid up for what we call seal extraction. But I didn't have a clue. I mean, we had a, we had a one hour lecture out of five years for orthodontics. That was my orthodontic, um, education, right? Uh, uh, and so I think now, uh, you know that the best way to build a practice is through the family. And most parents will bring their kids and suss out how good you are before they come in and before they bring dad in normally as the last person, right? Um, but it's their kids that they will, you know, every parent I know in every culture in the world wants to do the best for their children. And, and the best for the children is tied in with orthodontics. There's no doubt about that. So if you're only trained to look at cavities and fissure sealants and uh, that sort of stuff, you're missing a bigger picture. And if you can offer education to your new patients about their kids' behavior at school, their sleep, uh, the, the, the bigger picture, they're going to view you as a real doctor rather than a, what's the word, tooth carpenter. You know, I always, I always try and say after students have finished my three years of orthodontic education, they leave as oral physicians, right? Not just as tooth straighteners. And that's my point of difference in the type of education I offer uh, to say any other um, straightening teeth program. Because I graduated from a straightening teeth program. And I know how to straighten teeth well, but I realize that's not really the uh, the be-all and end-all of orthodontics. You hit the nail on the head with that, just you know, your response there. I think I struggled to to get my, my thoughts together with it. But yeah, you answered it perfectly, where I guess the key takeaway was how we were saying how patients and parents want the best for their children. They would never want harm on their children, but oftentimes it's just that unawareness or not 
knowing that certain behaviors affect this in a particular way in the same way that dentists also you know we want to do the best for our patients but we may not necessarily be aware of you know what we should be looking for and I think you summarized it really well in just being a physician and not just looking at the teeth and you know in that very first you know patient examination parent comes in with their child not just you know opening the uh, opening their mouths up and having a look at the teeth but assessing them holistically Aligners are becoming an integral part of practice, and whether you are new to aligner therapy or an experienced practitioner, the opportunity is vast. But how do you do that well, and how do you do that profitably? Well, Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green have got together to help you with both of these key problems in aligner therapy. Dr. Jeff Hall is going to teach you how to do clear aligners to a high standard and give you the confidence to be able to treatment plan and troubleshoot your patients. And Dr. Jesse Green is going to show you how to do this more efficiently, more profitably, and to get more patients like these into your practice. Solving these problems and getting you profitable in clear aligners is what Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform, is all about. It also gives you huge discounts on the aligner lab fees. There's almost no reason not to find out more. Clearex.com.au And so I think my last question for you on this topic, Dr. Mahoney, is just, do you have any tips for your, we've talked about it quite a little bit, you know, scattered here and there throughout this podcast, but if you had one tip that you could give new grads in terms of, you know, seeing a patient for the very first time, a a child that's growing, what would your tip be in assessing them overall? Questions you would ask or, you know, things that you think we often miss out on? I think Go through your dental checklist, everything you've been taught, but add to that an airway assessment. That's my hot tip. Add to that an airway assessment. We're in Australia, and the majority of people who live in Australia, uh, they're not um, from this part of the world. So they have numerous allergies to the local flora and fauna. You know, next time you look at medical history of a child, see how many people tick asthma, tick allergy, tick whatever. You know, uh, I work a lot with ear, nose and throat doctors and they are the busiest doctors in the world (laughs) because every second kid has an airway problem, right? Um, But if you then understand how that airway problem then impacts the kids sleep, impacts the development of their dentition, impacts their facial growth, you'll understand why it's such a uh, a big issue to diagnose early and to co-treat early. So I think um, Bear's questionnaire is my hot tip, assessing the child, you know, do they have that sort of mouth open posture, uh, mouth breathers, gingivitis, uh, desiccation of their teeth because they, you know, uh, ask questions. Uh, You know, I recommend people buy and read my Enos and Throat colleagues' book, um, uh, on snoring. Dr. David McIntosh has a really good book. It's written for parents, but I think it's great for young dentists as well. And ask the question, does your child snore? Now, I know the answer to that. And the parents are going to say, I don't know, because they sleep, you know, in a bedroom down the corridor. Uh, so there's free apps that you can give the parent uh, uh, that allows them to assess their kids breathing at night and, and, uh, and snoring. And it's not normal for a child to snore. So that's a good starting point. And if you start that conversation, all of a sudden, I think that parent is going to view you as someone who thinks outside the box and, hey, I think this guy wants the best for my child. He's not just looking at the teeth. That, that's my hot tip. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.